Good morning. How many of you fasted this week with us? Yeah. Did you like it? No. I just want to thank you for uh, jumping in there and fasting with us. It was awesome to do that. I'm kind of glad I threw it on you. Then you didn't have too much time to feel bad or angry. Just felt that in the moment when you gave up your food. But uh, it's great when we do these disciplines of God because they, they really help change us and uh, help us respond to the Lord. And so we'll be doing that again sometime. Not too soon. But uh, t- today, our, our, the, the things that we do are our spiritual disciplines and those things that are re- recorded in God's Word, especially in the Gospels, really help our spiritual growth and uh, our relationship with God. And because these next few minutes... I feel are, are so important. Will you just pray and just give your heart to the Lord and our prayers for you and the prayers from our intercessors are that you'll experience God today personally and that he'll speak to you. Lord, we just humbly come to you right now and we thank you for truth and we thank you that you died on the cross. But right now in this moment, Lord, in these special minutes, I'm asking that you would reveal yourself to each person. Lord, come to each person. Again, lift off distractions, any heaviness over hearts. Lord, any disturbing thoughts, any confusion. Lord, any places where uh, people might even just be questioning, Lord, you, and being maybe even a little distant from you, I'm asking that you would reveal yourself. Lord, that each of us could leave here, Lord, more connected to you, more confident of what you're saying, and at more peace. We pray also over the spiritual atmosphere in this place because we know Satan is our enemy and we know he wants to distract our thoughts and he wants to keep us from receiving. And I just pray that protection, that you would put a hedge over us right now, over our minds. And we pray for our kids over at Kids Church that they would be receiving also. Lord, that you would protect them, that you would uh, touch those who have already experienced things that they should never experience, heal them of their trauma. God, minister to them and bring strength move on our teachers and our ushers and our greeters all those people who are behind the scenes serving and working lord download to them even as they have their mind on others and they're serving god we ask this all in jesus name you know this is the second week of my my message um become a disciple and make disciples of jesus and uh i just want to hang on a little bit about becoming a disciple i just want to encourage you some of you might be on, on a fast track and, you know, let's get this thing done. Let's get going. But becoming a disciple and being a disciple of Christ is a lifelong journey and a lifelong process. And God is constantly taking us through different seasons and uh, different experiences that are all part of how he molds us for his purpose. And uh, throughout my message, you, you're probably going to come across this. You know, there's that focus where Jesus wants us to be a disciple, to do things for him. There's that part of Jesus where he just wants us to learn how to receive from him, how to be loved and how to be sitting on a bench sometimes. But God wants to teach us how to, to just be. And usually it's when we, we become those who can just be in his presence, then he, he uses us a little bit. But it's a process. And, um, you know, sometimes it's a discouraging process. And some of the people I'm going to talk about today in the Bible, you're going to be able to relate to. And I so love the Bible. Because it talks about real disciples from Genesis to Revelations. How people who were weak, some were strong, 
some were uh, a very, uh, uh, had, you know, all the different personalities that we, that we have in the world, that God used them. Some of them uh, had horrendous backgrounds and did horrendous things, but it showed the grace of God in their life, how he restored, how he forgave, and yet how he took broken lives and he caused them to become of great value and a great service and how they were changed and transformed. Some of you might be here today and you're just maybe checking this thing out. I don't know if I want to I serve Jesus. I don't know if I want to follow him. You know, sometimes the very person that we don't want to have anything to do with becomes someone we begin to follow and we love with all of our hearts. Um, I want to just talk a little bit about some of my journey as a disciple. You know, most of you know you've been here a while. You hear my stories sometimes repeated too much. I get to repeat them because we have new people. But, but, you know, you know I, I accepted the Lord when I was eight, and my parents raised me in a, in a church, and most of my early years were in a Baptist church. And, you know, I was just used to the routine of going to church, going to Sunday school, you know, working around church, just that routine, growing up in life, going to school. But when I hit my 20s, and um, I had to start making my own decisions, and I had to take responsibility for uh, my own self and uh, for temptations and the different things I started feeling as a young adult, um, I, I really just uh, bought into Jesus a little bit more. It became a little bit more real because I needed a real God in my life. And I remember being at Christian Community under Ernest Gentile now because I had made that choice in my 20s to, to sit under Ernest. Uh, I had learned that Ernest, um, that God had called him, and he, he really believed that the Holy Spirit was Jesus Christ and God the Father coming uh, and could live inside of us and we could have the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. So I really wanted that. And so I started going in. One of the, being a kind of a backward person um, and kind of shy, I started going to the college group. And, uh, you know, I'm a college age, 20, so I could go to the college group. So as I was going, I just remember just getting intensely drawn into relationships with the other guys, you know. And when you're a shy, backward type person, it's not easy to be around people. And I just felt, all of a sudden, I felt this overwhelming pressure that it was too much for me. And I just felt myself backing away from this process that God was trying to bring me into in relationships in the body of Christ. And um, God is so gracious. You know, he, again, he understands our personality, our temperament. And sometimes when, when we start moving into an area he wants to work on and it's too much for us and we back off, he has other doors of opportunity opens to begin to bring a healing process and help us to learn how to do relationships. And at that time, you know, um, I needed another avenue. And at that time, Eric Smith, uh, who's pastor over South Valley, he was, I was working under him because he was in our church. And uh, he, in fact, he was, I think he was the second church that Ernest sent out and launched it to, to establish a church. But under, under um, uh, Eric, I... I got the opportunity to start working at Juvenile Hall. And it was like God gave me a couple of college-age friends that for a short time I was able to relate with. And so God was working on me relationally in that area of discipleship that he was trying to help me to learn how to have relationships with other Christians and not be overwhelmed. And so with that, I just want to give you a little bit of opening of what we're going to talk about, becoming a disciple. Where's my stuff? Excuse me as I climb up here. I kind of like the old way where my stairs are right in the, in the front. Now I have to work for it. 
I know, Rick, I need exercise. You know, all of us start the journey with a friend or following someone, whether it's a coworker or, you know, you're starting a new job or you're starting a new procedure on your job and you start working with someone and, and you kind of like are, are their disciple. It's the same way with um, learning to follow Jesus. We have those encounters with Jesus that forever change us. He does something to our heart where we can't be independent of him anymore. Even though we have a mind, will, and emotions and a natural bent, we want to go do our own thing or we want to rebel. And every time we do, once we've asked Jesus to come into our heart, we hit a brick wall and we come back because there's just something he's done to our heart that forever changes us. And we must follow Jesus. I want to give you the definitions of a disciple again. The first one from the Encarta Dictionary. A member of Jesus' disciples, or the disciples of Christ. Someone who believes in and follows the teaching of a leader. A philosophy or religion. The disciple definition from the Strong's out of the Greek. Meaning to learn, thought with effort put forth. A disciple is a learner. And I think this process, like we're learning, or you're, you're really grabbing, no matter how long you've been following the Lord, you're a learner. You're always learning from the Lord. You're, you're always having new experiences. You're always having um, your ideas and your ideals changed or broken because God, is, God can't be put in a box. And though we try to you know, have experiences that seem to uh, give us more control, God's always breaking our boxes open because he's, he's so fresh and he's so real. One who follows both the teaching and the teacher. The word is used first of the twelve and later of Christians generally. And along with disciple is the word follow. To accompany. And when you really think of it, you know, sometimes you might think of people who you followed and they led you into some bad things. And you think, oh man, I'm now spending the rest of my life here trying to get over some of those things that I followed a person into. But when you think of someone who really loves you, you know, some of you who have, you know, stepped into marriage and found that you, you have someone that really is safe to follow, it can be a very positive experience. Or you've maybe had a negative experience in marriage or, or following someone and you're trying to get over that. Well, Jesus becomes that safe person that you can trust and he helps you restore and regain a trust in someone you can follow to go along with, to go the same way with. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we have as those who would learn how to follow Jesus. Um, he doesn't really like to adapt him, himself to our ways and our paths. To follow one who precedes is in union with. The root word means road. So to follow means to be on the same roadway with someone. Follow was used with soldiers, servants, and pupils. So it transfers to the life of a Christian. Roger sent me this um, this week. The journey is better with someone who knows the way. So let Jesus guide you. And I know there's sometimes in our own strong will and the way we want to try to experience life or even experiment in life where I don't think we want to follow Jesus. You know, we want to kind of do it our own way and hopefully maybe just kind of put a blessing on everything I want to do. 
And there's a, I think there's a grace and blessing over our lives a lot of times going our own way. But sooner or later, you know, we do learn that our way, it just has a dead end. And it's not going to bring the fulfillment that we really were created to have. The first time that disciples were called Christians in Acts 11.25. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. I want to ask that question, where did it change? Where did disciples change to just Christians or just simply believers? And uh, just kind of going through Ernest's catechism book, because he really wrote a lot on... uh, like about the New Testament church and how the apostles uh, were sent to, to start the church. But he talks about how, in, and you can look backwards in church history, how there was a cooling off where the hot fervency for God and following him, you know, people kind of got religious. And uh, you could even see some of our, our religious um, traditional churches, like Luther started the Reformation from the Catholic Church, and we see how the Lutheran movement was so hot and on fire, and then it kind of got cooled off. Or, you know, it's just uh, something how, you know, surveys have been taken, like how many people in America, and there's a big high number in America of people consider themselves as Christians, but they're not really following Jesus. You know, they're not really on fire for him. Now, you're here today, and I'm assuming all of you are hot on fire for Jesus. And because you're here and you're hearing this message, you're learning, like me, to become a better disciple. Why? So that some of those people out there can be drawn in. In Hebrews um, Hebrews 10.25, it talks about in the last days, people were not going to assemble together. Again, Christianity is about being connected with a body, being part of something bigger than ourselves, so that we receive um, instruction, we receive support, we receive input, we receive encouragement, we get supernaturally spiritually trained, and I always do the analogy of plugging in our cell phone. You know, it's getting charged. In fact, mine is in my office because I forgot my cord in my office, so now it's sucking up some juice so I can use it. That right now, every time we gather together, there's a supernatural impartation of the Holy Spirit that's strengthening us And in the days to come or in the hours to come, there's going to be uh, an ability to walk in the Spirit, to walk in that spiritual sensitivity because we are doing what God says. We are gathering together to receive from Him our our prophetic mic time where uh, people can hear from God and then give up and give encouraging word to the body. Our key verse today, Matthew 16, 24, and it's out of the Amplified. Jesus said to his disciples, and when Jesus starts talking to disciples, there's a whole lot to consider. If anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself, disregard, lose sight of, and forget himself and his own interests, and take up his cross daily, I think it's in Luke it says that, and follow me, cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living and, if need be, in dying also. So when we start this walk with Jesus, he's asking for a full surrender, a full trust. And we all know when we accept Jesus, we start that promise and we say, yes, whatever you say, 
I'm going to do it. But we also know there's a working out and, and we find times in our, in our uh, discipleship walk, we don't necessarily want to do what Jesus wants us to do and we may rebel a little bit. He understands that. He understands we, in the moment we received him, in the moment of glory, in the moment of a miracle, in the moment of supernatural uh, revelation of who Jesus is that comes into our heart and we say yes, he realizes in all we know and who we are, it's a it's a 100% decision. But he knows also there's a working out of salvation of our soul, our mind, will, and emotions that can change, that he's working on that now too. And so maybe you feel like since I started the walk, man, I've been backpedaling ever since. Don't get discouraged. God wants to help you keep moving forward. And, he, and he's here to encourage you today, especially that you're here, that he sees your heart and he knows what he's done and he knows what he wants to do. So you can settle down in him. And that thing, uh, I think sometimes what we hold back is that fear of like, okay, if I surrender everything, it says, my example in living and if need be in dying. I mean, immediately when you see that, immediately you think the worst thing he's going to ask you to do. The thing uh, that you, the least thing you would do, you think that's the very thing he's going to want me to do. I go, that's not necessarily true. What he has for you, in fact, will probably blow you away because he comes to fulfill and satisfy your life. Amen. Let me tell you, I decided to follow Jesus. When I sold my house in San Jose, I was able to buy my house down here to start being a pastor. I don't have a house payment. My house got paid off. I mean, that's the kind of things, to me, lose everything, give up everything. I would say, does that mean I'm going to lose everything? I found it totally different. God has blessed me so that I could start doing what he wanted me to do. And so don't always go for the negative. Again, the enemy is going to throw things and thoughts at you to make you feel like following Jesus is going to be the worst thing you can ever do. I have to give up everything? No, it's simply an adjustment in our attitudes to put God first. Why should we give up our life here? Why should we? Let's go to Matthew 16, 25. Jesus says a little bit more. Whoever is bent on saving his temporal life, his comfort and security here, shall lose it, eternal life. And whoever loses his life, his comfort and security here, for my sake, shall find it, life everlasting, satisfying life. Again, I think we, because we're in a natural world and we're surrounded by anything that we can figure out, we don't really understand the satisfaction that God wants to bring to us, the deep peace and fulfillment that he has for us as we choose to follow him. Let's read Matthew sixteen twenty six. Jesus continues, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life, his blessed life in the kingdom of God. Again, I can say that I, choose to, I chose to follow the Lord and my life has been blessed. Now in my journey of 62 years of living, I've had some pretty uh, difficult times I lived through. I had a lot of different training as a disciple where my soul received a little iron because I did the right thing without any, uh, any benefit. 
or I, I uh, worked a job which built my character, but I didn't have a lot of fun doing it. It wasn't really exciting. And so the character development sometimes as a disciple is a dullness of pain. There's a grace to go through whatever we go through in our discipleship process, in that process of becoming. But when you look back on it, when I look back, I see I had a grace. When I look back on it and I analyze what I went through, I'm thinking, how did I go through it? Because that was a real boring time. Or that was a real hard time. How did I get through it? And sometimes when you see different people going through things, you think, oh my God, how could they be going through that? But if you talk to them, even though they tell you how hard it is, they'll also tell you they have a grace. Or what would a man give as an exchange for his blessed life in the kingdom of God? You know, people are always bartering and changing, and I, spe- I think especially the way finances have been and taxes and everything, people are doing more bartering and exchanging than, than ever before. Now, my wife is incredible. My wife, I'm in awe of her because I've never seen someone sell out to Jesus like she does. And when I want to slack off a little bit, she's always, she's like a drill sergeant. She's always kicking me in the rear end. <laughs> she gets me into situations that bug me because they cost my, they cost my soul life. I find myself in situations that if, if they were handled the way I would handle them, I would probably get more sleep. <laughs> but she has a way of doing things. And I, have, I see her also, though, because Jesus has been first in her life since you've all heard her testimony, since she came to him. But I see God bless her in ways that I don't know how. I mean, she asked for things that I would be ashamed or afraid to ask for, and God gives them to her. Probably about seven or eight years ago, she got tired of our, our, our a TV. We had one of those like 25-inch. It was like one of those that are like 9,000 pounds. You ever had one of those? <laughs> and she started telling me, I want a TV for Christmas. And I said, girl, we're not getting you a TV for Christmas. That TV's still working, isn't it? That TV is our TV. She goes, I just feel like it's time for a new TV. What? Sure enough, it was a week before Christmas. Two weeks before Christmas, she had a deal. Someone traded the TV for another TV, and we got the TV they traded for from them, and we paid a little bit of money. They took our money, paid for the TV they got. But here she is. She has this, it's not a brand new one, but she had her big TV. It was a little bit bigger screen. And I'm thinking, man, God, God is good. The enemy will tell you giving up something, and sometimes we always have something that we feel like we, God is asking for something before we get more. And that thing may seem like the hardest thing to give up. But if you know what it is, I want you today to say, God, I want to give it up. You help me. You give me the grace to give it up because I want what you have for me. And it's always like that trade-off, like the monkey bars. When you're a kid, the monkey bars, you already got to let go of one thing before you grab onto the next thing. That following Jesus, that discipleship uh, life is about letting go of something to reach for the next thing that he has. And there's always a cost involved that you have to, it's mainly what you go, go through on the inside before you do it. Let me ask you this question. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came once already? Why is that so easy to believe? Is it because we've received him and we've already partaken, we know? 
Let me ask you this next question. Do you believe that Jesus is coming again to earth? Okay, here's Matthew 26, 27. For the Son of God, for the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to come in the glory, majesty, and splendor of his Father with his angels. And then he will render account and reward to every man in accordance with what he has done. Okay, so that takes the reality. We know Jesus has come, but that's the reality. Jesus say, I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And so the things that we do now as his followers in obedience to him are going to be those things that he'll reward us for, but they're those things that are going to accomplish his work so that he can come back. So really, if we want Jesus to come back, we, we keep on that discipleship process of following Jesus. Because if we're doing what Jesus wants us to do, we're going to be doing the things that are going to be profitable to grow the kingdom, to help people come into a relationship with Jesus, which is going to bring what he wants into fulfillment. Don't let Jesus' description of discipleship scare you off. Think about Jesus. He tells it like it is. But sometimes the things he tells us are scary. In John 15, 5, Jesus told the disciples, without me, you can do nothing. Again, he initiates the discipleship process. He draws us in. He does a few miracles. He fills our heart. He lets us have love. He gives us forgiveness. Does a few miracles. He's got us. We're hooked. But then when we face those challenges that really are going to cost us, again, it's going to be him that's going to help us move forward. And that's what you have to keep telling yourself. God, I want you, but there's that part of me, that old nature, I don't want you. I'm scared of what you have for me. I'm scared of what you want me to do. Here's a realistic view of disciples. You know, I have to say too, I try to be really open with you with my struggles. And I have to tell you, part of pastoring and taking that responsibility to give you the word every week. Can I tell you, I go through things that work on me and then I have to speak about it. I try to be as real as I can. Why? Because I'm really no different than you, but I'm called to speak to you. And so I want you to to be able to relate with a real person. And sometimes I, I share things that are hard because I have to be honest. I have to be real. I have to try to be transparent. But I love how Jesus allowed the word of God to be there for us. And I want you to go to Jonah 1. And we're going to read Jonah 1 through 3. Jonah was one of those Old Testament prophets. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Here's a real disciple. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from being in the presence of the Lord as his prophet. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, the most remote of the Phoenician trading places then known. Have you ever run? Do you know of a time you ran from Jesus? Ran from his presence? Isn't that something we can know the presence of God? We can know what it is to have that sweet fellowship with God. But when God wants us to do something, there are times we run the other way. Anybody be honest and raise your hand? 
I tell you, the last two weeks, I felt like Jonah. Part of me just felt like running. Just felt like running. Why? We have humanness. We have weakness. We have, uh, we have those tendencies that, because we, again, like Jerry was saying, we don't always see the prayers answered or we don't always understand what God's doing. We just kind of like give up. Last week I told you I felt like a dog who'd been running and I rolled over and I'm panning. He understands who we are. So whatever was going on in Jonah's personality, I think part of it was his personality, just from how that short book reads. And maybe this week you want to read Jonah, just get a little bit more info on him. But God wanted to do something, and he's boogieing the other way. Verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from being in the presence of the Lord as his prophet. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, the most remote of the Phoenician trading places then known. You might be running now. You might be feeling like, oh God, I started with you, but you're not enough. You're not doing all the things I need you to do. God understands. He understands the Jonah in us that doesn't understand or trust him. But hang on. I think of the different Bible characters there are who ran, who left their work, who got tired out, who rolled over. Think of the, uh, you know, Elijah. He ran. He ran from Jezebel. So Jonah paid the appointed fare, and he went down to the ship to go with them to Tarshish from being in the presence of the Lord as his servant and minister. Again, can you believe how many times they're saying three times he says it? Jonah's running from the presence of the Lord. Excuse me, that's, the presence of the Lord is awesome. Yes, until he asks us for something that we're afraid to give up. Ow! Being in the presence of the Lord is where the working goes on in our lives. Being in his presence is where he tells us what he wants to do. You've heard that story of me telling you over the last four years when I was working that, that what was going on where God was telling me he didn't want me working anymore and I thought he was going to have me just work at the church and I didn't know how that was going to work out and I would just tell him that final time I just told him, will you just leave me alone? Will you just leave me alone? There's no place to go at church. Will you just leave me alone? I was by myself in a building on site. Everyone had left and I was working on a motor. And then two weeks later, I'm walking out of the office with this book on church planning. I'm thinking, how could you do this to me? <laughs> I think that's why we run sometimes from his presence because we can't get away from what he wants us to do. And it's a hard thing because at those transitional moments when God is wanting us to move forward, our own will is blocked. Whether it's we don't trust or feelings of what it's going to cost us or it's just our will. And I think in those times where we're running from God is where God is working on our will. God is working to build a trust where we can surrender our will again than to be obedient to what he's asking us to do. That's part of, to me, I call it staying in the process. You know, you may be in that process of struggle with God for a while. It's okay. We, we see people in the Bible who wrestle with God. We know Jacob wrestled with God. It's okay. God is a good wrestler. He's going to win. But at least, at least you can get all your frustrations out when you're wrestling with him over what you want versus what he wants. Hopefully you'll 
say uncle before your hip goes out. <laughs> God disciplines disciples. How many like discipline? No, we don't like discipline. You know, I was thinking about discipline yesterday. Let me give you the definition of discipline. The practice or method of teaching and enforcing acceptable patterns of behavior. The ability to behave in a controlled and calm way, even in difficult or stressful situations. Punishment designed to teach somebody obedience. It's interesting the word disciple and discipline are so close. A disciple is a follower, one who's become disciplined, one who's been corrected, one who's been changed. And I think of, um, you know, for me, the way my temper and personality was, I always really wanted to be accepted. So I worked really hard to do what was right, to respect my parents, to do what's right. But I remember times when my dad would correct me, I'd get spanked. I mean, my dad would take a little oak stick and he'd spank me. And then I remember I would just hate my dad after that. I would hate my father after that. I felt such feelings of hate. And then a little while later, he wanted to come back and be my friend. And I felt like, how you know how you pull your heart away from someone when they correct you or they hurt you in some way? There were times where I just pulled my heart back and I just shut myself off from my father. You know, we do that with God when he corrects us. We pull our heart back. We, we feel the pain. We, we feel the hurt. We feel like, you know, this is too much. And we withdraw. We pull our heart in. God is trying to get us past that. So, so we can understand when he corrects us, when he disciplines us, it's because he loves us. He cares about us. So Joseph, Jonah, Jonah was changed under God's process of discipline. In Jonah 1.17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Isn't that awesome how God was <laughs> working to correct Jonah? He prepared a great fish. Oh, brother. And Jonah was in his belly of the fish for three days and three nights. It's okay to be angry at your heavenly father. Because he's going to bring you back. He knows how we're going to run from the process at times. But he won't let go of us. And I think those are the times that we really come to understand his grace and how much he loves us. Because when we blow it so many times or we run from God so many times, we would give up on people. Look at the disciples. You know, uh, they wanted to call down fire, you know, because these guys didn't agree with Jesus. And Jesus said, whoa, you don't know what spirit you're of. I love people. I understand people. I don't reject people. Hebrews 12, 5-10. Paul wrote this. My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline or give up when you are corrected by Him. Because the Lord disciplines whomever He loves and He punishes every son or daughter whom He accepts. Bear hardship for the sake of discipline, God is treating you like sons and daughters. What child isn't disciplined by his or her father? But if you don't experience discipline, which happens to all children, then you are illegitimate and not real sons and daughters. What's more, 
We had human parents who disciplined us and respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Our human parents disciplined us for a little while as it seemed best to them, but God does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. Last couple of weeks, um, some of the things I usually pray for, I haven't been praying for. I just feel like I've been in this place with my heart just open to God, but not praying about some routine things I'm always asking. I feel like I'm just like before God, like, you know my heart, and I need you to do a new thing in me and in my heart. And I feel like God's right there. You know, sometimes we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, and sometimes we don't just stop and let our heart be in his presence. Let our heart commune. And, and you, don't, you can do that all throughout the day. You know, sometimes we're focused on different things where we have our mind focused and we're not connected in our heart. But you can just keep, in those moments where you're not so focused, you can just touch in with God. He's always right there. He's walking right with us. I heard uh, a tragic story yesterday. Um, two, two Coast Guard were on uh, little ski-doos and went out and they saw a young man in his 20s in a place in his kayak and they stopped him. They said, you know, you're really in a, in a bad place. The waves are really unstable right now. And uh, I, we think you should kind of get in and, and uh, you know, be safe. And he said, oh, you know, I, I know the waters. I'm used to this and I'm okay. I think a couple hours later, they came back and they found the kayak and the body of this young man. Sometimes we get a word from God. Sometimes we get correction. that's going to stop us from something that's going to bring consequences upon us. And sometimes we, we just blow it off. I guess we're so independent. We're, we're so used to doing things on our own. And sometimes we know we've done things wrong, but we still want to have control of that wheel. We still want to make the right choices that we think are the best for us because we've been hurt, we've been broken, maybe even by God, maybe in relig- by religious people or circumstances. And so we don't want to trust God. But God, he wants us to trust discipline. He wants us to tr- trust correction because it could save our very life. I think about the 12 disciples who also were human and left Jesus. Even the committed 12 had moments of retreating from their call. In Mark 14, 50, then his disciples, forsaking him, fled, all of them. (laughs) Wow. They operated in his power. They walked with him closer than any man had ever walked with him for three and a half years. Okay, I'm out of here. It happens to all of them, all of us. Jesus knows disciples are weak. This is a, around Jesus being betrayed in the garden. Mark fourteen twenty seven. out of the Amplified. And Jesus said to them, his disciples, you will all fall away this night, that is. You will be caused to stumble and will begin to distrust and desert me. For it stands written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You know, they lost Jesus. He was their physical example. They touched him. They heard him speak. They saw him do miracles. But when he was gone, the natural side of them that trusted in their visual and their senses of him caused them to just leave. They weren't relying on what had been imparted to their spirit. They, they were affected by their sense knowledge. They were affected by the natural man. 
Are there any circumstances that cause you to scatter in your faith or run from God or feel overwhelmed? Or are there prayers that are not being answered? Jesus revealed himself to the twelve he wanted as disciples. Jesus reveals himself to bring disciples back to their call. Let's go back to Jonah. Good old Jonah. I like Jonah because I feel like I always identify with Jonah. Jonah had been inside a great fish's belly for three days and nights. Jonah 2.1 says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. Jonah got humbled. Could you say Jonah got humbled? If you were to fish for three days through night, would you feel like your whole attitude and everything changes about going to preach in Nineveh? You probably wished he had one of those uh, Swiss army knives to cut his way out. He'd have swam to Nineveh. <laughs> Jonah 2, 7 and 10. Jonah said, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. You know, before I read the, verse 10, there's a lot happened in those three days and three, no, three nights. Can you think of times, or maybe even right now, if you're running, can you think of what's going on in this process? And sometimes when we're running, sometimes we're, we're not really following Jesus, we could feel like, I'm, I'm going to be stuck here forever. But even in the process of being disconnected from God, even in the process of running from Him, God is working. You know, when you think of, of the decisions we make or maybe even getting moments of being angry, um, when we're in whatever state of mind or emotions that we're in, it could seem like it's never going to change or this is all that's going to happen. And wherever we're going through could just kind of overwhelm and make us think like, this is my life now. But reality is, even in those stressful times, God is working. And remember, faith comes from your heart. It comes from that commitment we made when we asked Jesus Christ to come into our life because we needed a Savior and we needed to be born again. We needed our spirit to be alive and connected with God. And so in those moments where our, our old nature, our mind, will, and emotions is, is super trying to take off and, and run from God, there is something solid. We have an anchor and it's our faith in Jesus Christ. No matter how new we are in the faith, Jesus honors our commitment to him, and he knows the struggles that are going on to renew our mind and to renew our, our life so we can keep following him. Verse 10 goes on. The Lord commanded the fish to vomit up Jonah on the shore, and it did. So when, when our heart is turned back, when our will is really restored to us, in a moment, it seems like we're ready to go forward with God. And then we almost forget what we just went through. We forget our, our, we have our running shoes on. We forget that our attitude's bad. We forget we've been angry. We forget we've been hurt. And in those moments, our heart is tender before God again. Jonah 3, 1. Now the, Lord, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Again, it's funny, we hit these roadblocks and sometimes we're running from God for years. But when we hit that roadblock, he says to us again a second time, he calls us again. 
And don't shame yourself because maybe you, you stepped off the radar for a couple of years or a season. The fact, the best thing is that you're getting back on track and you're going again. Amen. Disciples have character defects. God shows mercy to Nineveh. Jonah 4, 1 through 12. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Don't I say, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I, can, I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate God, slow to angry and, get, and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. I think as a pastor, I feel like that sometimes because I'm on a journey the rest of my life. I'm in this commitment to God. And sometimes my soul wants to run to Tarsus. I want to run away from it all. Why? Is there anything else I want to do? No. Like I said last week, is there any more new John Wayne movies out? No. But it's how we are. It's, how, it's just how we are, you guys. And that's why we need each other because there's times we want to get off the road. There's times we want to lay down our call and we don't want to keep following. The Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there and soon it spread abroad over the leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his, dis- this eased his discomfort and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm the next morning, and at dawn the worm ate through the the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorched east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. I think he's a little melancholy. I think he struggles with a little depression. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because that plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? See, I love it because he doesn't beat Jonah down at all. He understands Jonah's temperament. He understands Jonah's way of thinking and his feelings. But he reasons with Jonah about what he's feeling and how he thinks. And I want to encourage you today that God is going to reason with your personality, with your temperament, with the way you think, with what has to be healed in your life because he wants you to be his disciple. Will you stand with me? And would our worship team come? Again, like every Sunday, we have the opportunity if you want personal prayer. Remember this place where we call the altar, the place where you come and kneel? It's a place, it's a place where you surrender. And I can remember times in my life, I can remember as a, as a, as a young teenager um, getting on my knees. And again, I've told you this before, all I knew how to do was clean churches and be a janitor. But I got down on my knees and then said, God, I don't have much to offer you, but if you want, you can have my life. And I think that was a major, major point in my discipleship walk, just the fact that I surrendered. Now, if I didn't know all I knew now, you think maybe I wouldn't have surrendered that prayer?
but God honors. It's when we surrender. It's when we surrender. Even blindly, God is able to work with us in the discipleship process.